are now listening to PursuitCast, the official podcast of Pursuit NYC. May it be an encouragement to you today and stir your soul for revival. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of PursuitCast. Uh, it's been a while since we had a special guest on here. So it's a tremendous honor to have my good friend, Jason Nettles. Hey, Jason, how are you? I'm good. What's up, everyone? Good to be on here. Sam Juan, you are the man. Thank you, bro. I learned from you. So it's been a long time coming. um, And finally, we have you on the podcast. And and we're so thrilled to do that. Uh, For those who don't know who you are and what you do, could you share a little bit about that? Sure, sure. Yeah, I, uh, I'm currently right now living in Kansas City, Missouri, in middle America. And I'm actually with the organization called Youth with a Mission. You've probably known it or heard of it through uh, YWAM for short. And that's Youth with a Mission. It's one of the largest missions organizations in the world. And I've been here based in Kansas City, um, here on our training campus uh, for I just celebrated four years just a few weeks ago, uh, be, being in Kansas City. Yeah, yeah. In fact, it was it wasn't just April fifth, two thousand thirteen. That's uh, that's when I joined, and so that I just celebrated four years there. And on top of that, April fifth, two thousand one is also the day that I gave my life to Jesus. So it's kind of a double whammo. I just celebrated uh, sixteen years uh, following God and four years in youth with a mission. And, and I know that you were pastoring and, and working with churches and all of that before you got to YWAM. Uh, could you share on how you ended up in Kansas City, of all places? Sure, sure. So, yeah, it's a pretty, pretty crazy story, but I'll give you the, the cliff notes, spark notes of it. Um, formally, so, I, you know, like I said, I gave my life to Jesus in... Uh, April 5th of 2001, I was 15 and a half, and I gave my life to the Lord. I remember on that Thursday night, you know, that altar call, and I'm, I'm there on my face for like two hours, you know, not trying to be on my face because that's spiritual, but I literally felt like, man, the presence of God was so strong, and I just, I just didn't, I couldn't really even stand. So next thing you know, I'm on my face in the carpet, and I'm crying, and I'm weeping, and I'm there for like two hours. And I remember getting off the floor, and that was the day I made a decision, like, everything's changing, and I'm going to follow God. And, and pretty much that started now a, uh, a journey for me, a trajectory of going really, really hard and 100% after the Lord, where at 15, 16 years old, nothing really mattered to me. Honestly, I was ready to graduate high school. I was kind of over it, to be honest, but... You know, we obviously are still in school, and I knew I had a calling there. So obviously, I wanted to steward that as a high school student. But I say all that because I had my 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 sights on going into full time ministry. I felt the call of ministry on my life, a call to be in the full time ministry as a preacher, a revivalist, whatever we want to call it, but a minister of people. At around sixteen, seventeen, I graduated uh, high school. I went straight in the Bible college. And also an internship that trains you in how to be a youth minister, youth and young adults. And I started right out of high school, and um, I ended up graduating my internship early. And at 19 years old, that early, I started my first job as an outreach pastor. 
And um, that started my journey in California, uh, where I was raised. And I started pastoring at 19, and I did that all through, all the way till about 26 years old. Uh, and that, that was worth it, working with youth, uh, young adults, um, working with our Bible, our Bible college, and also our internships, um, conferences. I mean, the whole thing, uh, we went hard and did that full time uh, for a number of years in Cali. And to answer your question, how did I go from working in the local church to then all of a sudden now being in full-time missions, um, pretty much what ends up happening is uh, there was a number of transitions happening in my life, and, and I knew that I was going to be uh, stepping into the next season, if you will, of ministry for my life, and I ended up going to Kansas City, and there's a conference you might have heard about. It's called One Thing Conference, and they gather around 15,000, 20,000 people at the time, and I'm there, and you might have maybe heard of a guy named Lou Engle. I know you have, Sam, but some of you listening, you might have heard a guy named Lou Engle, who is the founder of The Call, uh, and they gather people for solemn assemblies to pray and fast for awakening and revival in our nation. And anyway, uh, Lou Engle was a guest speaker at this conference, One Thing Conference 2012. I don't know if you remember that, Sam. And Lou was preaching a message uh, called... Ekbalo. And I don't want to go into too much of the details of it, but in essence, um, the main point of the message was that God is thrusting forth laborers into the harvest field. And he was preaching this message, uh, pretty much saying that with the same power, Jesus, the scripture says that Jesus ekbalo demons with the very finger of God. That was the Greek for casting out demons. The Greek word for casting out actually meant ekbalo. And the same Greek word is used in Matthew 9 when it says, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send forth laborers into the harvest field. And the same Greek word used there was ekbalo. And so Lou, Lou Engle was setting up a case to say that with the same power of God, when God ekbalos demons, demons have to go. And with that same power, how much more when God ekbalos laborers into the harvest field, they must be sent and ekbalod. And that, that was the heart piece that the same power of God and, and that we're praying out of Matthew 9, Lord of the harvest, the harvest is plentiful, but Lord, send forth labors into the harvest field. So this is the message that I'm listening to. And I'm there with 15,000 other people, first session, loose preaching this message. And some of you listening, I'm just going to say it because I believe I feel a prophetic even spirit on this. As you're listening, this might be to you. I mean, I'm there with 20,000, 15,000 others. Lou says this as he gets to the end of the message. If you're here and you would say you are willing to go, I'm, and he says, I'm not saying you have it all figured out and you have all the finances and you understand what it is to be a full-time missionary. He's like, I'm just saying... If you are willing, and if God could provide a way, and he could provide the finances, and he could open up a door, you'd be willing to go to the ends of the earth. He asked this question, and I'm there sitting down with all the other 15,000 other people. And honestly, this is a moment where, man, since I got saved at 15, I've been telling God this prayer. God, I will go where you want me to go. 
I'll do what you want me to what you want me to do. You say the word and I'm in. My bags are packed, God, and I've been praying that since I was 15, 16. God, if you say the word, I'll pack my bags and I'll go to China tomorrow. And so I've always lived with that that idea of surrender because God's done so much in my life. I'm like, Lord, you're such a better leader than I am a follower, and you're more committed to my destiny than I ever could be. So I'm gonna follow you. And so in this moment. At 27 years old, I'm at this conference with 15,000 people. Lou asked, if that's you, I want you to stand to your feet. So what do I do? I'm like, yo, I'm in. God, you've been too good, and Lord, your leadership is so right for my life. So I stand up, and Lou, in this moment, he quotes Romans 10. In Romans 10, it talks about how beautiful are the feet of those that preach the good news. We, Many of us know the scripture. But before that, it says... How will the lost hear the gospel unless a preacher preaches to them? And how will a preacher actually preach to them unless they're first sent? And in this, it says, then, how beautiful are the feet of those that go and preach the good news. So in this moment, prophetically, as Lou Wingle is, meaning symbolic, he has everyone that's standing take it a step further now. And he says, would, if you would, would you take off your shoes and when you put your shoes in the air, and this is you symbolically saying, God, to the ends of the earth, I'll go. You're worthy. And in essence, just saying, how beautiful are the feet of those that are willing. And in this moment, I'm standing there, shoes in the air, a moment there in 2012, ushering in the year into 2013. And in this moment, bro, I pray this prayer. The session's done. And check it out. After that session, I was not like, yo, I'm in, I'm going, I feel a tug on my heart, I'm going to Afghanistan tomorrow. Nope. Honestly, it was another session. I was moved enough, but it wasn't something I was going to go journal about that night. You know what I mean? It wasn't one of those moments, you know, like where you're weeping, crying, and you're like, I got to put this, I got to document this, I got to write this down. So for me, I was like, okay, I know God hears every prayer and he sees every willing heart. And so I end up going on with the rest of my week at the conference, 15, 20,000 people. God's doing some amazing things. And here's, here's the shift. I know this is a lot of context, but I believe many of, pe many of the people listening, I wouldn't be surprised if God is actually asking you and even calling you, challenging you, challenging you to consider going for three to six months to the nations. And for some of you giving a lifetime, there's many organizations out there that say, give a year and pray about a lifetime because there's so much need and the unreached, uh, man, to give a year to the nations and preaching the gospel, man, that's such an amazing year uh, investing into eternity. But anyway, I say all that, I'm there, and, and I'll just fast forward. This was December, follow me, December 28th, 2013. And by January 3rd, two, uh, I'm sorry, 2012, and by January 3rd, 2013, I'm on, a, I'm on a flight heading back to Sacramento, close to where I live. I'm weeping on a flight. I'm reading this book by Lauren Cunningham, the founder of YWAM, Youth with a Mission. And I'm weeping and I'm crying. If you, if you can get that book, I challenge all of you, get that book. That thing will uh, really inspire you and propel probably a lot of different movement in your life. And so I'm, I'm crying reading this book. I have a Phoenix, I'm in Phoenix and I have a layover for like seven hours 
Uh, I bought a cheap ticket over the holidays, so I had a long layover in Phoenix. And in that moment, that night, I, I was there all night. I read the whole book in its entirety in one night. And uh, by the time I landed in Sacramento that next morning, my parents picked me up. And I told my parents, Mom, Dad, with a sober vo uh, sound in my voice, I said, Mom, Dad, it's crazy, but I know God's telling me to leave everything, move to Kansas City, and join the global missions movement and the global prayer movement in Kansas City. And so January 3rd, that was the day. And by January 6th, in a three-day period, God confirmed to me in a crazy amount of ways so I could look back and trace it back and say, God, you proved it to me and uh, make it undeniably clear that I'm supposed to go. And in three days, I knew I was supposed to leave. So I packed my car, all my belongings, the basics. Uh, I road tripped from California to Kansas City. And um, yeah, I ended up in Kansas City by April 5th, 2013. And um, that's when I started my journey. So that's kind of a long answer. Uh, but that's, that's, that, that's how I went from the local church and paid salary to support, full-time support in the missions movement. And uh, yeah, crazy journey. Yeah, that's amazing just to see the, the process of God leading you. And, and like you're saying the whole time, the leadership of the Lord is just so perfect in timing and, and in confirming and, and just even moving our hearts to obey. It was crazy, Sam. Yeah, and, and I think it's just that that obedience isn't so much like a struggle, but God God leads us to a place where it's a joy to obey Him. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I just see that in your story. That's awesome, bro. Um, and since you've been at YWAM, I know you've done a lot of different projects, and you have another one coming up this summer. Can you share on that? Yeah, you know we're running a uh, we're running a summer camp. And we used to, it's really a teen intensive. Um, for example, Youth with a Mission, our, our real focus is working with people that graduate high school, 18 and up. And we challenge them to come get trained, equipped, and for six-month programs, and then send them to the nations. Uh, send them to encounter God and also to bring encounter to others. And it's an incredible program, which is our discipleship training school. That's what I did at 27 years old which is my introduction into YWAM. And, um, you know, all of you have that available to you. But the thing was, most high school students, junior high students, they can't do that. I mean, they're minors. Uh, they're still in school. So we created a teen intensive. And this year is the first time we've ever launched the summer camp the way we're doing it, though. Um, like you mentioned, it's called Infusion KC. And we are actually partnering with multiple ministries. Uh, we're partnering with the Circuit Riders out of Huntington, California, California, Huntington Beach, and Circuit Riders there, which is a ministry that was birthed out of YWAM uh, with Andy Bird and the Fire Fragrance crew that are in Kona, Hawaii, and a crazy wild group, part of our family. Um, so they're going to be uh, working with us uh, in Kansas City. Uh, also, uh, One Voice Student Missions is going to be with us. And that's a crazy story in itself. If you want to talk more about that, Sam, there's a lot to say about that. Uh, but uh, it's called One Voice Student Missions. And Brian Barcelona is going to be here with all of his One Voice Student Missions team. 
And they are right now, the I'd say the best of the best in campus ministry right now in high schools and junior highs. And right now they're ministering all over the country to over 11,000 students a week in 80 different high schools all over the country. Um, and uh, yeah, so Brian's going to be with us. His team's going to be with us. Uh, Circuit Riders is going to be joining us and even different people from International House of Prayer and then our YWAM Kansas City family. We're all putting our heads together and we're running this camp for 10 days, only 190 bucks. It's absolute robbery. $190 pays for everything. And man, we, we, we make literally like no profit. And we wanted to make something so affordable, so accessible, so high school students, junior high students from all over the country can come, converge, join us this summer in KC and have the wildest summer of their life. And I believe, honestly, um, I'm saying it biasly, but I, I really believe from my professional opinion, as far as youth ministry, this is the best training, hands down, in the country, if not the world, going down this summer in Kansas City. For, for those of you who are listening, uh, we'll have all the links and information available for you as well. And just the heart behind it is, is revival, which is, as you know, Jason, our, our vision and our passion is to see revival take place in, 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 our, Come on. Time, in our generation, in our region, but all over the nation, all over the world. Uh, how would you personally define that word revival? I like that. I like that. I had a feeling you were going to ask that question. Of course. You know, you know, uh, uh, really a mentor and now starting to become a friend who's impacted me tremendously. Uh, some of you might know who he is that are listening. Jason Ma. Uh, he used to always say revival is God's arrival. And I always liked it. Keep it really simple. Revival is God's arrival. Uh, someone said years ago, some revivalist, you know, revival is when God is so sick and tired of being misrepresented, he shows up. And, you know, I, I, I really, I think there's a lot of cool things we could say and cool quotes about revival, but I really would say, man, what does, what does heaven look like? What does the kingdom of God coming to earth look like? Heaven invading earth, I'll use that terminology. And man, what does God desire? What does he want to do? Uh, when God shows up on the scene, what happens? And I think the best example we have to look at is to look at the life of Jesus. Uh, Jesus was the prototype. Jesus was the embodiment of the Father. And everything Jesus did, he saw the Father doing. And so if we want to know what heaven looks like, and we want to know what does the kingdom look like, Jesus embodied that. When he, walked this, when he walked the planet for 33 years. And I love what one uh, incredible teacher in the body of Christ says, that Jesus Christ is perfect theology. Uh, you want to know what revival is and verse denominations and all that. Let's not get in arguments. But if we want to look at what does it look like for the kingdom to invade earth, let's look at the life of Jesus. And so I think when we look at the life of Jesus, wherever he showed up, Man, there's a whole lot of stuff that happened. I mean, it was either riot or revival. You know, they're either they're either they either got stones in their hand and they're trying to kill him, and Jesus has to sneak out the back door, or everyone is is crying, they're weeping, people are getting healed of leprosy, getting raised from the dead. Uh, he's spitting in people's eyes with mud, and they're receiving back their sight. Uh, I mean, it's just crazy. 
uh, miracles are happening. It's just one or the other. And, you know, Jesus, like wherever he went, man, something happened. I love, you know, I love where this, you know, as this conversation where we're going, your question, you know, what, what's your definition of revival? Uh, something that blows my mind, Sam, is when I think uh, you look at the Gospels, and if I'm not mistaken, it's at the end of John, the Gospel of John. And I think it ends at the very last scripture, the last chapter. It literally says that there are not enough books. There's not, there's not enough books and enough libraries in the world to be able to hold all the stories and the testimonies, the record. That's the wording it used. They can't even keep a record of how many miracles and, and uh, crazy things that Jesus did that there's not enough books to actually keep record of it. And so what we read was only part of it, but that's insane that there's not even enough books out there to keep record of all that Jesus actually did. That's insanity. 33 years, all that he did. And so I know I'm going a bit on a rabbit trail, but I, I would say, I'll give you an example. So we talk, we're talking about infusion, right? Infusion, Kansas City. Uh, we'll just use the context of high school students. Uh, we'll talk about junior high and high school students. Uh, what is revival? Revival is God's arrival. Um, God's no respecter of persons. This is exciting for everyone listening that will be listening. God is no respecter of persons, and he is searching the earth to and fro, as it says in the scripture. And he's looking all across the earth, looking for someone to show himself strong to. He's looking for someone who's willing and available, and he wants to show his power and his glory through their life. And so that's the, that's the amazing thing that every one of us on this call and every one of us listening right now on this podcast, that you are a candidate and that if you have uh, blood pumping in your veins and your heart is beating, that God can still use you. And that's exciting. And so I'll, I'll say all that because there is this guy, Brian Barcelona, that I'm telling you about, the founder of One Voice Student Missions, who's going to be with us this summer. And he wrote a book called The Jesus Clubs. And this book now is in every library across, across the country and on every shelf in bookstores. Um, but it didn't start there. It goes back actually to 2009. 2009, I don't know if you remember where you were in 2009, but Brian, back in my days in youth and young adult ministry, we had a conference we were running called Ammunition Conference. We had about 1,000 students, college students, leaders, pastors there. Brian was only 18 years old another senior in high school in the building, actually in a tent. And he's there and God speaks to him audibly at, at 18 years old in 2009, speaks to him audibly. This doesn't happen on a regular. He just said, the only time I've heard God, I feel like I heard God audibly was this moment. And God speaks to him and says, Brian, I'm going to use you to bring revival and awakening and to be a voice of revival and awakening on high schools in America. And he's like, he gets, he's just so shocked and taken back by this. He doesn't know what to do with it. Fast forward, God picks this guy. He uses him and God ends up speaking to him this. And six months later, he ends up graduating high school and uh, he graduates high school. Sorry. And what ends up happening is he ends up going back to his campus in Sacramento and he begins to gather some students. I mean, it was only like six students. It's a crazy, crazy story how it goes from six to 600. 
he starts gathering some students in a classroom saying, I mean, you talk about normal Bible clubs. Let's just be real. All of us that have been a part of them, have seen them. Most Christian clubs is like five kids eating pizza who, who literally are like listening to Chris Tomlin, who are just like just barely trying to survive. And they don't want they're, – they're in a prayer meeting, so they don't get uh, contaminated by the world, if you will, which is their high school. So they're not thriving. They're surviving. Um, and most people, the majority of the high school, they ain't trying to be up in that, that Bible club. <laughs> and so what ends up happening, um, Brian ends up getting these six kids. And literally one girl said, Brian, I want to see revival on my campus. And Brian boldly tells her. You get me an auditorium and we'll fill it. And then after he said that, he's like, oh, my gosh, what did I just say? And long story short, by a miracle and God really helping them and, and getting behind them and giving them the grace, they end up packing out this auditorium and they end up preaching the gospel. And what ends up happening, though, is there's a kid in the crowd and he has a broken, a broken leg. He has a cast on. Brian ends up telling them, you guys want to see God do something? God's going to heal this guy right here. Literally, praise for the kid's leg. Check this out, guys. Everyone listening, this stuff actually happens. Praise for his broken leg. He gets healed. They cut off the cast, and this guy's running around in the gymnasium. Okay? So you can imagine on a public high school that this is going to go viral, and everyone's going to want to come see and hear what just happened. What, what, what ends up happening after that, pretty much Brian takes this Jesus club, this Bible club, from six kids to 600 kids. And here's the answer to your question. What, what is my definition of revival in the context of a high school, public high school? It goes from six kids to 600 kids. They're packing out this gymnasium every single week during high school hours, during lunchtime on this public secular high school. They're packing it out with 600 kids and kids are getting saved they're getting delivered, they're getting set free, and they're not just praying a prayer and like leaving and not changing. They're saying yes to Jesus, surrendering their life, and literally there's garbage cans in the middle of the gymnasium. They're throwing away their condoms, they're throwing away their drugs, they're throwing away their gang rags. Uh, different gangs are getting reunited and they're actually reconciling. Um, I mean, it's crazy. People are throwing away even pornography. I mean, this is getting wild. They're throwing away cigarettes. And this is all happening during high school. And people are getting set free from depression. People are getting set free from suicidal thoughts. People are getting healed. And this is all happening during school hours. And, and you know what's crazy? It happened with an 18-year-old kid who just said, God, you spoke to me, and I want to be crazy enough to believe you at your word. He got a group of five, six other kids, freshmen, sophomores, in Sacramento, California, that said, we don't have much, but God, would you use the little that we have? And all of a sudden, they're seeing the kingdom of God. That's what I would describe as the kingdom of God coming and invading earth. And um, that's my that's a story to give you an example. That's what I believe uh, is an aspect of revival, where it's changing culture. You're seeing people that were depressed, hated their life, waking up with no purpose, and then by the time they, they're done meeting with God, hearing the gospel, responding in their heart, literally brand new people.
as I had in my life. And Sam, I know you encountered God at a certain point in your life. And I believe that's aspects of revival. Oh, man, that's so powerful, bro. Just hearing that story of, of God doing the impossible. I mean, I feel like that is an aspect of revival where it isn't human effort, human performance, uh, good behavior, but it's encountering God and, and lives changing, like you're saying. Um, what would you say are, are some steps to, to even step out of faith like that? Um, I would say that there are many who are afraid to do that or, or faith and, and they have prayed for the sick. And, and I, I've experienced it. I'm sure you have as well, where we contend for healing and we don't see it, but to keep stepping out in faith. What would you say are some of the things to help people launch out like that? Uh, a guy years ago named John Wimber, he actually said, faith is spelt R-I-S-K, risk. And he's all, where there's no risk, there's no faith. Um, and, he, and, you know, one guy, uh, he's become a friend, uh, Chad Deadman from Bethel. Um, Chad, he, he actually wrote a book that I, I actually have been wanting to read again, um, and it's called The Risk Factor. And uh, the whole concept of the book is every one of us, outside of risk, you will not reach your supernatural destiny. And the, 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 one of the big points of the book was every one of us listening to this right now on this podcast and everyone that we know, they all have a choice. And every day, especially if we're believers and we, we let's just say we're more the, the type that look at the scripture and we want to believe God that we can move in the supernatural and we can see when Jesus says, I did great things, but you'll do even greater. We actually want to be the crazy believers that actually believe him at his word. So if that's you, every one of us have two choices. And every day there's going to be this chicken line of fear. Every day in every situation, we're going to have tons of opportunities throughout a day. And that chicken line of fear, it's going to seek to rob us of our destiny. Because if we don't cross that chicken line, we're going to stay in average. We're going to stay in normal. We're not going to be stepping out into the faith realm. We're not going to be stepping out into the supernatural. We're going to be functioning in the natural, what Jason can do, in the natural, what Sam can do, and not stepping past that place into the supernatural where, God, if you don't show up, I'm going to look like a fool. God, if you don't step in in this moment, Lord, I'm taking a, a big risk here. Lord, I'm going to look, look, look like a complete crazy person. Um, and I believe there's something about that vulnerability and that humility that pulls on heaven to show up. Um, now, I know that that could be, some of you are thinking some extreme example, like walking up to a guy in a wheelchair and you're like, man, you're going to be healed in Jesus' name. And you try to yank him out the chair and he doesn't get up. Um, now, you, some of you might be thinking like maybe that type of extreme example, but I'm talking even to the, the, simplest, the simplest things in your life for many of you listening, a practical example is what, what in your mind is a challenge? For some of you, it might actually be striking a conversation with someone you've known for years, even a friend, and actually talking to them about their faith. And for you, that might be gutsy and risky. And my encouragement to you would be, man, take that step. Um, for someone else, it might be 
actually, man, I've been wanting to step out and pray for that person that I know is sick and has diabetes. Um, but man, I just, every time I want to do it, I kind of get shy and I get afraid and I kind of run away. Maybe for you, it's stepping out and just believing and praying for that person in Jesus' name that God's going to heal them. Um, from another person listening, it could be, man, starting that, that Christian club and gathering those five believers to actually pray and believe God that he wants to do something on your high school or your university. Um, every one of us have that thing. It, 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 uh, it just depends. Um, and so I guess my, my best advice would be to ask yourself a question. What are some of the things that you have been feeling God's been speaking to you to do or step out in? Or maybe it's a dream or a word you received from someone uh, or something you read in the scripture and you felt challenged. But for whatever reason, you've been afraid, you've been nervous, you've been fearful. And there's that chicken line that has been stopping you from stepping into your supernatural risk. And that'd be my best encouragement because on the other end of that, man, there's something powerful that could happen. I'll give you, I'll give you a great example right now. Um, many people will say like, well, what if nothing doesn't happen? Like if I step out and I actually put myself out there and man, I, I trust God. We'll use, we'll use an example, praying for someone who's sick. I'll use a big example, praying for someone who's blind. Yo, I don't know about anybody about you, but I still get nervous when I'm about to pray for a blind person. Okay. And so initially there's going to be this feeling like, man, uh, what if nothing happens? But I love the question. If you flip it, what if something does happen? Yeah. You know, like what if, what if this moment you stepping out, you actually step out and you step into your supernatural destiny and you see that guy or that girl's eyes open. And for the first time in their life, they have brand new eyeballs. Number one, what is that going to do to that individual? It's going to change their life forever. Number two, what is that going to do for you and your faith where this just got real? And, and my encouragement even, you know what I was taught when I was um, 15, 16, 17, being trained in, in healing and how to pray for healing. Um, and there's definitely room for that. We don't want to overcomplicate it, but there are some basics that can help you. Um, but someone told me, one of my pastors said, Jason, this is not, this is your, this isn't your reputation. It's God's. And when you step out, you don't, you're, you are just simply representing Jesus. And so when you step out to pray for healing, it's not your reputation, it's God's. And so your, your goal is mainly to be obedient, not to produce the results. And I love what T.D. Jakes said. He's one of my favorite, just for the record. Um, T.D. Jakes, he said this. He's like, if, if I had a prayer line and I had a bunch of sick people in my prayer line and, and, and some old... So some old mama was in front of me and she was sick and I prayed for her to be healed. And then she dropped dead right there in front of me. T.D. Jakes goes, goes, you know what I would do? I would step over her respectfully and I would say, who's next? <laughs> now his point, his point was, first off, man, no one's probably going to want to jump in his prayer line. <laughs> But he, he was making a very great point. He was saying, it's not my reputation. It's God's. 
He's like, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not responsible to heal anybody. I'm responsible to believe God that he can heal them and move forward. And if I pray for a 500 people that don't get healed, I'm going to believe that the next one I'm going to pray for is going to get healed. And I don't understand that. And no one can answer that question for you. You can dive into the scripture. You can listen to 10 different theologians and preachers about this topic. And no one's going to give you a really straight answer. Only God's going to really give you that answer. Why do some get healed? And why do some not get healed? But I want to say something. I know, we, I know, Sam, we've kind of broke off a little bit on this healing conversation, but I think it's appropriate, especially for those listening. There's not enough talk about this, this um, conversation. One teacher that I really love, he said it like this. He's like, many people build theology on disappointment. And he's saying, you know, they'll pray for someone. They won't get healed. And then for the rest of their life, they build a theology on that disappointment. Because God didn't heal so-and-so, I now am going to stop believing. And for the rest of my life, I'm not going to take a risk in that area because last time I was disappointed. Because God didn't do it then, so he's probably not going to do it now. And I just believe for many of us, we all have faced disappointments. And we all have the, the big question mark, the why. And many of us have those in different areas of our life, not just healing. But I think the, tr the, the, the true test for us in our maturity is to trust God's leadership and to trust his character and his nature and that he is a healer and he is a God that brings breakthrough. He is a God that desires to save. I've been praying for a brother of mine, for my, my older brother, for the past 16 years that he would give his life to Jesus and that he'd be set free of different things in his life. 16 years later, my brother is still in a very tough spot, but I was persevering faith and with a, a steadfastness and a stubbornness saying, I am not going to stop believing and I'm not going to stop praying because I believe God wants to get a hold of my older brother's life. And so to encourage you and many of you listening, you know, sometimes you have to get this stubbornness about you. To say, you know, I, I can't explain everything. I'm not going to necessarily try to explain my circumstances. But I know this. God is good. And I know his nature and his character. And when, it's like what I told you guys earlier. When I look at the life of Jesus, his life was perfect theology. What did he do? And with Jesus, everywhere he went, he believed. And he stepped out and he believed that people could be healed. Yeah. I mean, I, I even remember... Uh, just even in our past conversations, just as friends and just encouraging one another and stuff like that, where where you shared about like how Heidi Baker and, and other people like that, they've prayed for hundreds and hundreds of people without seeing breakthrough, uh, but that didn't stop them from keep on contending. And now they they walk in a level of breakthrough that that is an example for, for all of us um, as we follow Christ, you know? That's exactly right. I mean, I mean, Heidi Baker, uh, Todd White, for those of you that know these names, they're some of the lead influencers in the body of Christ. I'll even use a different one, a Sean Bowles. I know Sam and I both like him a lot. Um, I mean, these guys, these ones, I mean, uh, Heidi's moving in healing on a level where every, every, every deaf person she prays for gets their hearing back. Um, she literally is like, Ever, she, she feels she has an anointing in this area 
but the first like hundreds that she prayed for never got healed. Um, Todd White is very similar, uh, would step out when it's seen anything happen. And then like the 900th time, literally kept count. He saw an incredible breakthrough. Sean Bowles, which, which is crazy, guys, believe it or not, this guy literally, God will speak to him, social security numbers. I mean, how, how crazy is that when Sean Bowles calls you out in the middle of a, your church service and he knows your, your street address and he starts talking about your, your mom and your dad and he knows that they got a divorce. And I mean, details he should not know unless it was actually a real word from God. Sean Bowles says for years, he was not getting words of knowledge, but he had to start taking risk. He had to start stepping out. He had to start getting used to hearing God and deciphering and discerning what is he saying. And so I think there's actually a practical to it. The more you do anything, the better you get. And so I do think there's a practical there, but I, I really believe a theme we're touching on right now is this theme of you have to be willing to take risk. Um, any, any person that ever builds a massive company, they have to take a risk. Any entrepreneur that ever just went headfirst to become a multimillionaire, they had to take a risk. Um, you name it, any dream, any organization, any nonprofit, someone had to dream it up and make it actually a reality. But there's so many others that failed, that didn't try. And I mean, literally, we, we're not talking about them. We're, we're talking about the people that tried hundreds of times, but then they cracked the code and they actually did it. I mean, I would even say this just to um, just find a theme and just a whole conversation that we're having right now is the leadership of what is perfect and his leadership demands we follow him in risk, you know, like if we are truly led by him. If we truly want to follow him, it's going to require faith and that faith demands risk if he is going to lead us, you know, and I just see that throughout and. And I just want to say this as well, where in Scripture it says that it's impossible to please God without faith. Come on. Say, just taking a risk in itself pleases the Lord. Like That's good. The healing, the, the fruit, the, the growth, the salvation, whatever you want to see at, on the other side of your risk, like that is on the Lord. Only He can do that, but risk is only we can do. But whenever we do it, it, it pleases Him already. And we that's so good. Give the fruit to him, and yeah, I mean, I mean, I think that's what your life has modeled, and that's what we here at Pursuit want to keep going after. Even if we fail, um, we still want to be faithful and take risks along the way. So that's good. Yeah, you know, Sam. Can I? You know, I want to add something. I think to take it to take it kind of down a couple notches, but not really. I think the greatest miracle to encourage someone out there. The greatest miracle that could ever take place is not the blind eyes opening, the cripple getting out of the wheelchair, someone who who has MS all of a sudden now, doctor, doctor approved, healed. Those are incredible miracles, but the most incredible, powerful, profound miracle would be someone who is dead in their sin, completely lost, hopeless, and then because of you, whoever you are out there, or me, or Sam, because of our willingness and stepping out of our, our own world for a moment and loving someone else, we bring the gospel, we bring the love of God to that person. 
And they literally, as the scripture says, become born again. They, they step out of darkness and they're brought into his marvelous light. That's the greatest miracle. And so I want to encourage many of you with this. Man, like, man, if, if, if you are at a faith level right now where you want to start pushing it and like, you know, kind of in a sense, pushing the limit. And if it's praying for people in wheelchairs and you feel like you're ready to go on that and you want to start taking those risks, by all means, go do that. But I want to encourage all, all those listening on an entry level. I, it's a quote that I say all the time. But what if changing the world is as simple as loving someone that's never been loved? Well, I, I love that so much. But what if changing the world is as simple as loving someone that's never been loved? It's good, bro. But I would say, like, when even if you pray for someone who needs, you know, they're blind, even like their eyes don't have to be open for them to be loved and experience good. love, you know? That's real good. And so, I, you know, I, I think for me, I speak in so many churches, you know, this is why I'm kind of sharing this piece, Sam. Uh, I speak in so many churches, you know, a lot of them even the past couple of years, Korean churches. Um, and, you know, the, depending on the culture and how they were raised, they're all at different places. Uh, some have never even, never, not once stepped out to talk to a stranger to tell them about Jesus. I mean, so there's one pool of people. And then I could talk to maybe some of the pursuit guys. And man, maybe you guys are stepping out and you're preaching the gospel as much as you can, but you're wanting to see now, you're wanting to see crazy level miracles, crazy prophetic words of knowledge. Uh, and so everyone's at different places. And so that's why for me on a baseline level, I just try to, it's something I've been doing a lot lately, but it's kind of an evangelism seminar I've been doing a lot at a lot of places. But it's actually demystifying evangelism and bringing it back down to, man, stop being weird. <laughs> Just have a, have a conversation with whoever that person is in front of you. So if it's for me on a flight from Kansas City to L.A., sitting with my, my passenger next to me, or if it's you at the bowling alley, and you start striking up a conversation with some other friends and people at the bowling alley next to you. I mean, whatever it is, everyday life where you're having normal interaction, there's normal conversations happening, just being aware of the opportunities that are available of people where there's, there, there's, a, there's, a, there's a door, there's a conversation. Um, and, I, and I give examples like it, guys. Like I let a friend of, not even, I call him a friend now because I'm texting him. Look, I was just in L.A. and I led my Uber driver to the Lord. And now we're texting and we're friends. Um, I was on a flight from Kansas City to L.A. And I led my passenger next to me, Christina, to the Lord. And now we're good friends. She just moved to Kansas City from L.A. And now she's wanting to get plugged into a local church and want to get baptized. I mean, so I'm, I'm just saying, I'm not even just saying it in theory. I've literally been learning firsthand from being saved and, and in the church now for a lot, a lot of years, most of my life, I'm, I'm learning at 31 years old, man, we make evangelism so, so, so much harder than it needs to be. And we complicate it. And I just really believe, uh, man, it's as simple as 
strike up a conversation, have, have a good, um, you know, connection with an individual, whoever that is in your circle of influence. And man, watch and see what happens as you're praying uh, in the, as you're in a conversation in the back of your mind, you're asking the question, God, what's the opportunity? What are you saying about this person? You're talking with Sally and in the back of your mind and under your breath, you're praying, Lord, what are you thinking about Sally today? Lord, I'm listening to Sally and she's telling me about this rough week she's been having and her mom and her dad are kind of fighting and they're, they're considering divorce and just, man, home's been kind of a hard place to be. Lord, what are you saying about Sally? And in the back of your mind, you're thinking this, you're praying this, and I promise you, I promise you, if your heart is to bring the love of God to that person, God is going to speak to you something about Sally. And there's going to be an opportunity. There's going to be a window of opportunity and, and, a, and a, a, really a door uh, somewhere, a need that you can begin to minister to, pray for them and whatever it might be. So I know I'm kind of going off a little bit, but I just think there's so many opportunities in front of us around this topic of taking risk opportunity that's in front of us. What is revival? Revival is God's arrival. It's, believe, it's believers walking out their faith, not just keeping it to us, not just keeping it in the four walls of the church, but taking it to the streets. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing your heart with us and, and your friendship and support of, of the ministry and taking time. We definitely... Got to have you come back on here. We'll have like a trilogy. Bro, of course. With Jason Nettles on here. But um, just as we wrap up our time together, uh, we, we just ask different leaders this. You know, how are you connecting with the Father uh, in this season of your life? Whoo, that's a good one. How am I connecting with the Father at this season of my life? All right, so back in 2011... I sat in a chair, a chair I had in my room, and I would sit in this chair every morning, and I would sit there, I'd open up my hands in my, in my lap, I'd open it up like in a posture to receive, like I was receiving something, and um, I'd open up my palms, um, and I'd literally just be sitting there with my hands open, and I literally had to do this as an exercise. For six months of my life, guys, I did this. This is crazy, Sam. I don't know if I ever told you this. For six months or more, it might have even been eight months, I would sit in this chair every morning and night. I'd sit there. I'd turn on a song that talked about the Father's love, and I would say this every day. Father, I receive your love today. Father, I want to know you more as the Father. I receive your love today. And I'd say, Father, you love me. You love me right now, God, not for who I could be, but for who I am. God, right now, Lord, you don't love me, God, any more or any less than right now. And I, I even pray things like this. There's nothing that I can do, God, to make you love me more. And there's, God, nothing that I can do to make you love me less. You just love me. And I'd sit there with my palms open and I'd say, Father, I, I'm not a, a human doing. I'm a human being. And God, I'm a son first and a servant second. And God, 
I'm not my ministry. I'm not my preaching. I'm not a youth pastor. I'm a son. And uh, guys, I'm 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 saying all this, Sam, because back in 2011, bro, I I went through a crazy season of my my life where I had to relearn everything and actually understand who is the father and what does it mean to be a son. And it was a wild journey. And I say that to answer your question. Um, I learned some valuable lessons and things that were introductory to me back in 2011 to 2013. And I, I, I went deep in the study of what does it mean to be a son and uh, to, to have a father that outrageously loves me. But I would say this is a topic that, like you said, man, what is the father teaching you now? Man, I'm relearning it again, bro. At this point, at right now, 31 years old, where I'm at right now to answer your question, I am back at a place where I'm saying, Lord, I'm not my ministry. I'm not the successes of what people say or what they don't say. But Lord, today, put me anywhere, God. Lord, it doesn't matter. But Lord, I want to be a son who knows that I am loved and accepted by the Father. And just knowing that, that understanding that I'm deeply loved and I have, an, I have an affirmation and I have a Father who loves me and who's impressed with me and who values me. And, and there's not anything I have to do to try to impress him or perform. But right here, right now, before I ever do anything else, I'm pleased by, by, by the Lord. And that is something I'm trying to revisit. And I'm at a place right now, bro, being really honest, where I'm, I'm entering the rest. <laughs> I'm entering the rest. And in the midst of being very busy, I'm learning that, Lord, I'll accomplish more sitting at your feet, resting in the place of prayer, and even in the word, trusting you to do a lot of the things around me. Versus me just trying to work overtime to get these things done. And just trusting that the Father's more committed to my work than I am. Trusting that the Father's more committed to me, more committed to building the summer program that I'm leading than I could ever be. And, and me actually just taking rest and refuge in him, trusting that he wants this to work out better than I do. And so there's a lot of different categories, but I'm really at a place where I'm just 31. Man, the, the motion of the ocean and life just happens. Things happen sometimes. It knocks the, the air out of you. And sometimes you just get surprised. And in the midst of all these different circumstances, I'm really just taking refuge in the Lord and re just revisiting that. Father, I can, I can come to the Father's house and I'm loved as a son. And you love me and you care for me. And, and in that place, in that place, man, that's, that's home, you know? That's good. Sonship. I mean, we'll never graduate from being a son, which is the best news. It's, it's who we get to be. That's good. Yeah. Thank you so much, bro. How can people uh, follow you, connect with you? Uh, what are some social media stuff? Okay. Okay, Sam. I see you on that social media. <laughs> well, uh, you know, I'd probably say the best one, I, most of the stuff that I use, um, on Twitter, on Twitter, if you like that, I know a lot of millennials and younger people don't use it as much, 
Um, but that's Jason underscore Nettles. Jason underscore Nettles, N-E-T-T-L-E-S. And by the way, that's not Korean. <laughs> that's, not that's not Chinese either. Not Filipino. I know you're wondering. Um, I was adopted, sidebar. Uh, but, uh, but probably the best one I'd say that I'd want to lead people to is just go to Facebook. And I actually have a public figure ministry page that I've been using a lot more lately. And it's simply at Jason Tyler Nettles, my middle name, T-Y-L-E-R, at Jason Tyler Nettles. I use a lot there on my Facebook now. And from there, you could probably connect to everything else. Awesome. We'll have all the links for the listeners so you can connect with Jason. He is, um, as you can tell from the podcast, just a man of passion, a man of conviction, man of integrity. So, just an amazing man of God, a, a trusted friend. I uh, love you, bro. Thank you so much for hanging out with me. Um, My pleasure. Best, and we'll definitely have you on here again. And to all of our listeners, thank you for tuning in. Tuning in. Uh, we'll catch you on the next podcast. Come on. Thanks, Sam. Love you, bro. See you guys. Thank you for listening to PursuitCast. For more information on the ministry of Pursuit NYC, please visit us on the web at www.pursuitnyc.org. Revival or bust.